Hi, I'm Danny DeQuisto, the pastor of Redemption Church here in Milwaukee. I'm here with Ron Sanchez, our associate pastor, and this is our Mission Talk podcast. Mission Talk is all about helping ordinary Christians think biblically about what God is trying to get done in the world today and the role we get to play as his church in his redemptive work. Well, Ron, since last time we've done an episode, your title has changed. You may have noticed we had to change our introduction. Uh, you were appointed as an elder and are now serving as associate pastor. Congratulations. Thanks, Danny. I'm really excited about what God's doing here at Redemption and really looking forward to these Mission Talk podcasts. Me too. This has been really fun. And in particular today, I'm excited to get into our conversation with just a great pastor friend from Scotland about being patient in our evangelism. Well, Redemption Church, uh, we are here with a good friend, Adam McNinch, and he is a church planter in Queens Ferry, Scotland. His church is part of our network, the Pillar Network, uh, that shares a lot of the same values that we do for expository preaching and, and meaningful membership and these things. I was really encouraged to have met him on the trip that I took to Ireland and Scotland uh, just before COVID-19, if you recall, uh, Adam and I struck up a friendship and we've been in connection ever since then. Uh, when we actually met, Adam, if you remember, you hadn't planted a church yet. Uh, you were there pastoring uh, your sending church, which is Charlotte Chapel there in Edinburgh, and uh, also a part of the Pillar Network. But you've since gone out and planted a church and uh, you're in that process, which has been fun to navigate together and, and discuss and think about. But as I thought back to that trip that we took, Adam, I, I remember a particular conversation we had. We were sitting in the back of a car on the way somewhere, and you were explaining some of the process of sharing the gospel with just unbelieving friends in your life. And, uh, and, and I was just so encouraged and, and in some ways challenged by that. Uh, it revealed for me some ways that I maybe haven't been thinking of uh, just sort of this long and patient pursuit of other people in the name of, of Christ. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about why that is. But one of the values for us, I think, in this podcast is to talk with brothers and sisters around the world who are engaging ministry for the sake of the gospel, to see the gospel proclaimed, disciples made in churches multiplied, and give us a different perspective in a way, just to give us some insights into how to go about this in, in the most faithful ways. And so that's, I guess, my setup, my introduction uh, of Adam, our, our guest today. And, and then with that, I want to hand over to Ron, if you could, and just have you jump in here, Ron, and, and uh, let's navigate this conversation together. Absolutely. Adam, it is, it is great. I've really been looking forward to getting together. I still have such fond memories of, of our Zoom call in Danny's office uh, just a couple of months ago. And Scotland, every time I uh, hear the word Scotland and certain Edinburgh, which how far is Queensferry? You're, you're in Queensferry. How far is Queensferry from Edinburgh? Oh, like 15 minute drive. Okay. Yeah, okay. it'd be like a 15 like minute a or 50? One five, one five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, every time I, I don't think we've been to Queensferry, can't wait to visit it. We've actually, my wife and I have actually been to Edinburgh. Um, two on two occasions, I've been there on three total of three occasions, and have visited on a couple of occasions uh, uh, Charlotte Chapel, and so I've just really been looking forward to hearing what's what's 
going on. And boy, we're praying for you and just excited to to be uh, vicariously a part of what you're doing in Queens Ferry. Uh, so one of the things that we're very interested in is hearing about the culture of Queens Ferry, uh, Scotland, um, your relationship with uh, Charlotte Chapel, just and coming out of there and just that process. What is the atmosphere there, the environment there like? Sure. Um, I guess um, if we start big picture, Scotland um, is, I guess, quite a, a, a proud, proud nation, um, uh, an increasingly liberal nation, though, um, both in the in the in the sort of public sphere, um, but also in terms of the government's uh, direction, uh, in terms of its policies. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of air that we breathe. Very liberal. Um, in fact, just this week, there were uh, guidelines published by the Scottish government that proposes to allow children as young as four uh, to change their gender, um, four years old. And if they don't want to let their parents know, they don't have to. Uh, so that's wow. guidelines that are being proposed. That gives you an idea of the direction of uh, travel in this country and the state of, of things Um I'm curious how that affects their relationship to Christianity. And <laughs> in particular, yeah. te there tend to be some dots that we can connect there. But uh, yeah. yeah, how does that impact their view of Christianity? The, in terms of the government? Well, even just the culture at large. Yeah, I guess um, it's, it's, a, it's a quite a pluralistic society. So um, I've not personally... I encountered a lot of hostility um, mm. with regards to my faith, but I encounter regularly, I guess, uh, a lot of disinterest, if you like. Um, you know, people would use language, and I'm sure it's the same uh, all over, you know, like your truth. And I'm glad, I'm, you know, I'm glad you have your faith. I've got my, whatever it might be, yoga or yeah. whatever. So there's, you're met more often than not, I guess, with, with disinterest um rather than uh you know outright hostility um so is that is that what you'd say adam that the that the average uh unbeliever um thinks about christianity that well that's good for you but not not interested is that pretty much across the board yeah i think so if if you get to, if if you're if you're in a position of getting to that point in a conversation, I, th I think even taking a step back from that, I just don't think it registers in people's a lot of people's interest. Um, I don't think a lot of people see the relevance of of Christianity. Um, but if you're if you're pushing the conversation on, um, often that's the impasse that I'm, I'm. Well, I'm glad you've got your faith. I, you know, I, I don't need it, kind of thing. Um, but it seems like it creates even a barrier to getting to that level with someone. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Does there, does there seem to be a point in, in uh, the presentation of the gospel where they just say, okay, enough's enough. I have to yeah. go. Yeah. Pick up my daughter or whatever. Yeah. I think that, that, that would be often what um, people are, are met with, uh, are, are met with um, as they, as they try to, um, yeah, move the conversation on with people and and um, 
probe a bit more as to what they believe. Um, Barnard did a, a, I don't know if your listeners will, some of them will know uh, the Barnard um, group. They, they do uh, research on behalf of churches. Um, and um, I, some of the stats that came out when they did the Scottish one were quite interesting. So 61% of adults had attended church at some point uh, regularly in their life. And just over half had a kind of favourable impression of of Christianity, um, but then so some of the stats are kind of confusing because sixty one percent of adults said that they did they, they disagreed that faith was an important part of life today. So mm. uh, almost two thirds, um, only twenty six percent of Scots said that Christianity was relevant to their life. Nine out of ten were either neutral or sceptical towards the Bible. That's kind of the the backdrop um, of 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 what we're uh, living amongst uh, in Scotland. Well, and to some extent, what really interests me, Adam, about this conversation is that there's a lot of similarity between Scottish and, and American culture, but there's a lot of differences as well. We're both Western English speaking. You know, uh, yep. there's certainly large cities and, and and these various different things, but it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, but it, it seems to me like you guys are a little bit downstream of us. Like you've, you guys have been doing the sort of uh, uh, post-Christian thing a little bit longer maybe than we have. I think in some ways it, it works a little differently in America because of our religious history compared to yours. But what I'm interested in is it, it seems like if, the, if you just kind of let the thing unfold here in America over time, we may be getting a glimpse of what is to come for us in what is the reality for you. Uh, and and I, what I'm intrigued by in that is the idea that really it's, it's not a ton of active persecution or hatred. There may be isolated examples of that. I imagine there are in most cultures, mm-hmm. right? But by and large, the sort of day-to-day sense and feel of it is just people don't care, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they so don't care about the biggest and greatest truths that we've staked our lives on that it's actually really hard and unintuitive to have a substantive conversation with them about it because there's so many things we need to untangle with them to even get them to take it seriously. Would you say that that's kind of a, a little bit of a glimpse of what you experienced there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been to the US a few times. I've not been to Wisconsin, but I've been mostly to the South and I've been to the US a few times. And my observation is that, um, yeah, things are things are quite different. Um, things are often quite big and quite impressive on the church front. Um, but um, yeah, I guess I would have question marks about how much of that is just cultural Christianity, which which we don't really have anymore. Generally speaking, if you're in church on a Sunday in Scotland, it's because you're um, genuinely converted or you're genuinely genuinely seeking. There's not yeah. really a whole lot of there's not a kind of cultural Christianity that I think we've talked about this before. There's there's not really the um, there's not the sort of social kudos of going to church that, you know, I think it, my observation... I think you, I I think you just wrong, said kudos. But, yeah. I think you just said kudos, right? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah there's, not, <laughs> there's, there's not really kind of... Um, there's not... Yeah, thanks for translating. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You need to translate, it's fine. Um, it is English, really but that. some translation is required, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, there's, there's not really... 
it's not really something you do just that's socially acceptable and um you know, I, I kind of get the impression it's like a nice middle-class thing to do. You know, you kind of you hmm. cut your grass, you've got your nice white fence and you go to the church on a Sunday. That's what yeah. I, my impression is. That's what a lot of people maybe do uh, in, yeah. in the US. It's maybe tied in with your political persuasion as well. But there's not really any of that here, really. Sure. Um, that whole fringe is now long gone. Yeah, that that's so interesting uh, because, uh, you know, uh, research a number of years back, and I'm not sure what the figure would be now, but suggests that 76 percent of uh, of Americans would would say that they're Christians, and clearly uh, they're they're uh, not Christians; they're unbelievers. I mean, we'd be in a lot better shape than we are now if they were in fact uh, born again Christians. So, with that in mind, and the challenge that you face with evangelism. Would you say that it is it 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 it's easier in some respects? I mean, we know that uh, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and, and the harvest is difficult. But would you say, if if kind of as best as you can, looking at the two cultures, would you say that it, it's better uh, or easier and uh, to be able to uh, advance the gospel and to plant a church where where the culture is less Christian? Well, I, I think um, uh, if you look at some of the people that Jesus encountered who thought they were right with God, uh, they are some of the more trickier people to deal with. The, the broken and the needy and the outcast and the sinner in some way are easier to, to evangelize. It's harder to, I would personally say, evangelize people who think they're all right with God. And I guess there is still that big fringe of people who are, I guess, connected with a lot of churches in 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 the US who, who think they're right with God, but they're well. It's not for me to judge. To judge, but it, Sunday Sunday for an hour or two is not the only measurement of um, how, how we uh, assess with someone's a believer. It's it's, it's a twenty four seven thing, and so I yeah. think here because we because the lines are clearer, hmm. uh, the mission field is more obvious. Hmm. Um, as I, as I say, there's not many people around church on a Sunday in Scotland unless they're genuinely saved or genuinely seeking. Yeah. Um, so, so in that sense, it does make it it does make it easier. Now, that's not to say that we don't. Um, that's not to say you know there are there are common graces that the US enjoy because you have such a, a, a you know a Christian the, the wider Christian culture. Now, I guess that is gradually eroding. I think that's what you're kind of touching on, um, or maybe quicker than we think, or, or maybe quicker than many Christians in the US are aware of. Um, we don't necessarily have that. So then the challenge for us is um, uh, speaking the truth in an environment which uh, is either disinterested, as we've, we've touched on, or, you know, that we are in some quarters, I guess, seen as dangerous. Now, we're, we just hold to the Bible's teaching on on various topics, but there would be some lobbies within our society that that just reject wholesale mm. uh, what the Bible has to say and would want to characterize Christians as being dangerous. So it's not necessarily just that they don't care so much. It's that they don't care. And they also get the sense that if they were to kind of sniff down the trail of Christianity with you, they might find some troubling things even. There's a bit of a... They don't like. 
They, yeah. yeah, they they don't want to go down that road and they've almost decided not to care because they see th- those beliefs as some way being oppressive or um, sure. harsh Judgmental. or judgmental yeah. and any number of things. So mm-hmm. Adam, I'm curious if I could, just as a church planter, I know the feeling, uh, Ron as well knows the feeling of uh, kind of shoving off with your family and trying to see God do something powerful. And there's this really practical sense of day by day, just wondering, is this thing going to work? Is there, are we going to be able to have a church and are people going to care? You know, so how has that impacted that conversation for you? And if you could, I wonder, describe the pacing of, of church ministry there in Scotland in relation to the United States and sort of what's considered a successful large church there. Uh, how long does it typically take those churches to get to that size if they even do it, you know? And so just describe some of those implications here. Yeah, um, I guess it's quite interesting for for us leave, leaving a big church. Um, Charlotte Chapel is probably the largest, well, is the largest evangelical church in, in Scotland, one of the biggest in the UK. Uh, I just checked with Moira, the administrator, this morning, and she was saying there's currently 626 members. So that that's massive in, in UK terms. Um, so just to clarify then, too, you said that's the largest Period. That's the largest in Scotland, and be one of the largest in in um, in the UK. Certainly, one of the most uh, well known. Started in uh, eighteen oh eight, and mm. it's a, it, as I used, you know, it's a it's a freakish church in the sense that most churches, if you follow their kind of the the flow, they kind of uh, rise and fall. Uh, so maybe they have a you know a period of growth, and you know a. a you know, a pastor that's like really clear in the gospel. Maybe there's a, a time of kind of pruning and time of uh, decline. And it, Charlotte Chapel's kind of different from that. It's kind of bucked those trends um, mm. over a number of generations. And so we're we're obviously leaving a church like like uh, like that with its resources and um, people and things like that to start something new. But um, it's kind of how we've been taught because. Um, this is our history of, of planting churches, even before planting churches was was cool and you had these young guys with jeans and flannel shirts. Like, that's just <laughs> what we've been doing for generations mm-hmm. uh, going back. And we probably took our eye off the ball for a few years and, and there wasn't much going on, but it's kind of stepped up again. Mm. Um, and we've seen, you know, past fruit from that and we're committed to the vision of seeing lives transformed through Jesus to the glory of God. So um, we, we, that's, that's Charlotte Chapel's vision. That's our vision. And we see ourselves as kind of playing our part and seeing that vision continuing in the next uh, generation. So, so that's what we go in. And I guess scripture teaches us to be more concerned about uh, being faithful rather than obsessing about the growth. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, it's God that gives the growth. Like, it's not really my hands as to how big this church grows. My job is to be faithful in uh, discharging the duties that I'm called to as a pastor. But the picture in Scotland, just to kind of give, give you a bit more context, the picture more w- widely in Scotland is not one of like lots of planting and, and lots of kind of momentum. It's actually, a, it's, the church in Scotland needs help. Um, just to give you an idea, the equivalent of 120 churches close every year in Scotland. Now, we're only a, country of six six million Mm. so that's quite a lot um in the last 15 to 16 years 1800 churches have closed and only 300 have been planted 
Wow. So that kind of gives you an idea of the, the pace of decline. So to get back to where we were 30 years ago, um, 7,000 churches would need to be planted. Um, that's, wow. that's the scale of the task. So, so yeah. many churches, church buildings now are pubs, clubs, uh, people's homes, climbing centres. Uh, I know of one church building in Edinburgh that's a kind of place, if you want nice lighting for your, you, know, you want a chandelier for your hallway, you, you go there. Interesting. Now, the church is not a building, we, we know that, but that picture of church buildings being converted into other things, Yeah. there's a story behind that. There, yeah. You know, if these were healthy churches, they would not be selling off their buildings. Yeah, it shows uh, the trajectory there of the culture yeah, and their views. Of the, of the, yeah, yeah. And so, you, do you have any? Do you have any sort of a sense of with that many churches closing, how long do they last? Do they last a, a year, a couple months, a couple years? Most of these closures would be in the kind of the national church. Um, mm-hmm. So um, the, the kind of um, the pattern is that you know um, it's, it's an it's an aging church congregate it's an aging church across the board, um, and so um, quite often church parishes will join up. So instead of there being a church in so a parish is like a, almost like a neighbourhood. So um, yeah. uh, where there might have been um, four parish churches in an area, there might just be one, and they all come to one. So then three buildings get sold off. That, that's the kind of the, the kind of picture. So these are these are older churches rather than church plants that are that are closing. Yeah. Um, I see. Do unbelievers yeah. do unbelievers tend to equate uh, your church with those kinds of churches automatically, or do they see it as something new right from the beginning? I think they probably see us as something new right from the beginning, Ron, because um, because we don't meet in a kind of um, historic-looking church building. I think they already have question marks about what we're all about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we were to get a, a, you know, a church building, um, it would look a lot more like um, the, the, their, uh, what they anticipate from, from church. But we, we, don't, we meet in a sports centre, like a, a community okay. centre. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the differences here. This is where I think some of the differences come to the surface. When you say a national church, first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, we don't have one of those. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so there's a difference there, right? I mean, to have a Church of England that goes back far, far into the nation's history, mm-hmm. uh, sort of as as one of the players, mm-hmm. and you know, people always wondering, mm-hmm. are you a part of that or not? You know, and that goes really sure. far back. It's a little different yeah. for us. But also what really struck me when I was there with you in terms of this pacing conversation, Adam, is I remember talking with you at the time. I think we were a year, year and a half into the church planting process. And I think I shared at the time we had about 55 or, or 60 members, something to this effect. And mm-hmm. that seemed, at least was my impression, to strike you as, wow, that's actually pretty significant. Whereas Mm -hmm. here in the U.S., I think a lot of people's perception is unless you get to about 650, which is the largest church in the U.K. there, uh, you kind of haven't even just begun. It's kind (laughs) of sort of the jury's out as to whether or not this is even working, you know. And so tell me a little bit more about why you think maybe what's just your assessment of why why that difference, I guess. Yeah, I guess this the scale the scale of. The scale of things, I mean, it's just it's just a bigger country, you know. I, I guess mm. um our expectations are are different. Um and I think 
um, if I can say this in a as I say this as a critical friend. You know, I love America. I've got many American friends, many American pastor friends as well. Um, you are um, from the outside looking in quite an impatient people. Yes. generally speaking right oh. so 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 you like every time i go to america there seems to be another industry that's managed to adopt the drive-through model uh, when i was coming over in the early sort of 2000s 90s it was a drive-through restaurants then it became drive-through banking last time i was over it was drive-through coffee so everywhere seems to have a drive-through starbucks right you're just you're just <laughs> we want fast, people man. That you need to move you know um we've got a little drive-through church going uh, is this right. true ron yeah. is this true so that, that, that's just my that's just my observation that yeah and no, you know I, and you see in the customer service you know you, you sure. meet angry people in the queue because things are not moving fast enough and you see them at yep, airports yep. all this kind of stuff i'm generalizing obviously i'm sure there are lots of patient people um but i think that is part part of it and there's a comparison thing as well there are so many churches mm-hmm. in your country that it's very easy for to compare and, you know, you see this church down the road and they've grown so quickly. And um, and so I think there is, there's a comparison thing as well. Um, and yeah. um, I, I think the mega church, uh, that, 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 that period of time where, where the, that was a really explosive thing mm-hmm. has um, almost made some people think that that's the, the norm. Mm-hmm. But, but if, we, if you come back to the New Testament, actually... Yeah. It's there, those are those are few and far, but those are not the norm. Yeah, right, and right. it's it's um, so yeah. I I think a lot of living by sight and less by faith is probably maybe maybe an issue. Like well, it, big is better, you know. I've seen it. I've seen right. these big Ford F two fifties, and that big is better is often the, <laughs> the the kind of mantra. But that's not always the case. Um, yeah. Well, so what I noticed too, uh, even in just talking with you at a little bit more depth, uh, Adam, is because of some of the cultural differences that we've talked about, right? It does just work very differently. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. But yeah. just by virtue of having a website and meeting for church, mm-hmm. we have a stream of at least, I would say, probably about 10 to 20 people a month, even new different right. people who just come to redemption. Cause they're looking for a church. Like sure. they've, they've settled it in their minds. They want to be part of a church. And, 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 and that's not always because there's a profound spiritual maturity or that they don't have necessarily a great ecclesiology. Right. But in their minds, yeah. in their life, church at the very least is part of the equation and they're sure. just looking for the right one. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. Whereas I think it seems like that's not so much the case, but what I'm, what I, what I was challenged by for that reason is it made me think, well, to what extent are we existing to, to meet that need? And to what extent are we really actually engaging people who actually have no interest in church because they aren't believers in the gospel? Sure. And, and I think, frankly, when you have a culture where people are looking for a church, they want a church, they're just looking for the right one. It allows you as a pastor to give this impression. Well, the church is, is growing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do it a little quicker in that way by mm-hmm. just sort of mm-hmm. finding those people and persuading mm-hmm. them that our church is the right one. Um, and so I, I guess what I'm encouraged by, I guess, just to encourage you to take heart is just to, as an outsider looking in on what you're doing, um, that's just not even a possibility for you, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it seems like that's just not a way that you can do it. And so 
it's made me look more intently at how you're thinking about personal relationships with unbelievers sure. a lot more intentionally, I think, frankly, than I tend to. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. But I mean, again, just pray, praise God for that common grace. That there's still this tier of people yeah. that have some interest because, um, yeah, they might go to a church down the road that's going to massage all their needs and, you know, affirm them as good people that are right with God, but they found yeah. your church and they're going to hear the gospel each week. So, like, I want that's to say, point. I would love that problem to have because right. <laughs> these are people that need discipled. Like, they, they, right. they think they're right with God or they, you know, they think that along with their medical insurance and their nice barbecue at the back that, you know, church is just another part of the puzzle of their life. Oh, right. Um, right. But... But yeah, you're right. We, 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 don't, we don't have that. As, well, as and such. to be it's sure, more... some of them have proven to be really spiritually mature brothers and sisters who are yeah. even thinking through what the church ought to be and how it ought to function. And, and, and in yeah. that sense, it's just a different work maybe that God's yeah. doing that I certainly am grateful and don't want to downplay. Yeah. But I do think for us increasingly to be faithful will look like, you know, welcoming those brothers and sisters and then equipping them, right, to be patient in reaching yeah. the culture around us that really doesn't care <laughs> for a number yes. of different reasons. And that's the corner I'm kind of interested in turning here. Can yeah. you speak to, to the process basically when you run into an unbeliever mm -hmm. who eventually comes to faith in Christ and then yeah. becomes a part of the church um, there in Queens Ferry, how, how, what does that look like practically? Yeah. So um, for, for us, um, Although we have, we're engaging with people that aren't uh, Christians yet. We we haven't I haven't got a, an example to give you just yet. We're not we're not launched. We're not exactly public yet, just because sure. of the way uh, we've had to kind of um, limit seating and things like that. Really, just for yeah. the, just the space that we're in. But I can get I can give you I can talk to you in in in, in um, sort of broader terms. Christianity explored. Do you, do you use that material? You're familiar with Christianity? Well, we we've considered it. I have. I'm looking at it okay. right here in, okay, up sure. in my in my shelf. Right. So, yeah, it's something we hope so, to consider in the future. Yeah. Okay. So so Rico Tice, who's the kind of main main guy behind Christianity Explored, he did some um, work a little while ago, um, and in the UK, on average, it's about seven years. That that situation you've described there, from absolutely like a cold contact, like no somebody who has just no idea what is Christianity all about, to fully fledged member of the church you're looking at about seven years on average so, so just to be clear then are, what, what you're saying is hey you move into a new house you meet your neighbor not interested in christianity um if they were to come to faith in christ and join your church and, and if that happened sooner than within a seven-year period that would be faster than normal or faster yeah. than average wow correct yeah. And so what does that look? Yeah, exactly. So if that, that, with that being maybe kind of the case, then how does that impact the way you think about that relationship with that, with that neighbor? Yeah, I guess it makes you, makes you think, um, first of all, uh, what a great opportunity. We've moved into a neighborhood and there are people who don't know Jesus. So, <laughs> uh, praise God for that. Uh, I guess you're, you're doing kind of mental equations as to like, what 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 might their response be to to Christianity? So early on in the in the relationship, you're maybe wanting to um, say something about church or your your faith. Being a pastor like means that come usually comes out quite early on when they ask you yeah. what your job is because that's usually something that people want to talk about. Like what what do you do for a living? 
Um, and I guess you're just doing a little listening as to what are their, what does it sound like the hard things are in their life? Uh, what does it sound like they think about Christianity as you kind of um, drop things into the conversation? And you're, you're I, I guess early on, you're building building the friendship, building the trust. Um, and then I guess down the line, you're looking for opportunities to maybe try and read the Bible with them or, in, you know, encourage them uh to to read a book that might be kind of provocative based on something you've talked about before sure. um but yeah our, our kind of main focus would yeah be to encourage to, to ask people have you, have you ever read a bit of the bible as an adult like that's a great mm. question to would you would you would you like to read a bit of the bible with me yeah as an adult and just you know read part of the gospel, let's just do it once. If you like it, we can do it again. If you don't, that's fine. Um, rather than a kind of event-based evangelism that hinges everything on, you got to get them to church as the f- opening salvo and uh-huh. like get them in front of a professional pastor and he'll he'll save them. Kind of See, thing. and that's that's what's particularly interesting to me because I think that in, in large part because of how the, our culture works, there's plenty of people looking for a church. I think yeah, it's taken me a longer time to see that, I guess. Like, you know, right. what does it look like for us to begin the process long before it even seems to make sense for us to invite them to church? Like we have a lot more work to do even uh, in just understanding where they're coming from before we can ask them that without it turning their brain off more or less. Right. And so speak sure. to that a little, Adam, like when you talked about starting with listening and understanding where they're coming from, why do you feel that's important in the process? Um, because, um, because these people are made in God's image and they're not projects. And I think sometimes when we treat people as projects, we've just got a prepackaged, um, you know, way of uh, we're going to present the gospel, whatever you're, you know, whatever, hmm. whatever they're saying is essentially irrelevant. We're just using this conversation as an opportunity to yep. present the gospel. It's a one-way, one-way actually, conversation. Yeah. Whereas actually, uh, the gospel speaks to our greatest need is salvation. Our greatest problem is ultimately the fact there's separation between us and God, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. that is absolutely it. But your way in might be different from person to person. For some person, they, they might not want to talk about Christianity, but something hard has happened in their life mm-hmm. that makes them now more open to talking about life after death, for example, if some, say somebody yeah. dies or the war in Afghanistan, COVID. You know, th- there are always ways in if you're listening to hurting people. Um, and... Um, there are different ways to arrive at a gospel presentation. It doesn't have to be prepackaged, two ways to live, you know, hitting them with that um, mm-hmm. without any acknowledgement of what they're saying. And I think that the, the evidence time and time again for people coming to faith who are not from a Christian family is, is more often than not because they've got to know a real Christian rather mm-hmm. than they've come to a church service. Yeah. And that's that the, the statistical evidence shows that all like across the board, not just in Scotland and in the UK, it's meeting real Christians who've got a real vibrant faith, and um, that and that faith just comes out every opportunity because it's important to them. So, you're um, what you're seeming to be saying is that it, it, the encounter with people redeemed by the gospel. Uh, uh, even tends to be more effective than just getting them in the right program or the right environment or the right event. 
um, seems to have a more powerful effect. I, I just wonder, you know, as, I, as we're processing this, I think in American terms, again, I know just even the history of like evangelism explosion, a lot of people have been trained in a certain method here right. where you okay. just start with a series of questions that one is, you know, if you were to die today, how sure are you, you'd be in heaven. Um, you know, it, okay. as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about this and what's coming to mind for me is even, it seems to me, it, it, I'm wondering if someone might answer that question where you're from by saying, I, I don't believe in heaven. And I think you're a bit what's, odd. Or what's heaven? Probably what's heaven would be. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and the fact that you've asked me that question makes me think, I, I wonder if there aren't a lot of other things we are not on the same page about to have that conversation even. Um, and it's sure. not necessarily that they're hostile, again, to your point, it's that they just there are certain foundations that we are assuming even that, that just aren't there in them and they're not there for them. They're, and when you assume they're there and you just ask the question anyway, it can kind of be a conversation ender than a conversation yeah. beginner. And this, this is what I'm really interested in, in, in maybe just kind of camping out and eventually closing here on this. How do we share the gospel? Which, which I'll say is, is a fairly, it's a, it is a, there's a simplicity to it, but there's also a complexity to it. I mean, it's rooted in the truths of scripture, which there's, we have 66 books, goes back in history. There's different genres. It's very, I mean, it, they're, they're, to someone who has no experience with it, right? There's a lot to learn here. How do we bring to bear this message that God in Christ has redeemed us and given us new eternal spiritual life in a culture where it's not even a category for people. It's just not how their mind thinks. I'm, I'm curious what insights you have for us in that. Uh, Adam, you do it with patient persistence. Amen. Mm. All all of life is under the lordship of Christ, yeah. and um, the, these grenades every so often just like flying a community and having no involvement in that community. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it may bear fruit. May God may use that flyer to somebody who doesn't know the people from the church. He may well do. But but going going back to what we talked a little bit about about your the culture and and patience, God is. One of God's attributes is 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 is, is patience. Hmm. I was thinking of two Peter three. Uh, the the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God God is patient. Okay, so impatience is not a it's not a commendable thing, right? I'm extremely thankful for God's patience with me. I'm thankful that Jesus hasn't come back yet. Uh, until I heard the gospel and had an opportunity to to respond to it. Uh, but at the same time, we don't take that patience for granted because the very next verse in 2 Peter 3 is verse 10, which says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And mm -hmm. that's why I say persistence. Uh, yeah. We need to use the time well. Um, so patient in our attitude, but persistent in our attempts. Um, and so that means like we don't shy away from opportunities to, 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 to evangelize. Um, you know, that... That Greek word, you know, it's to announce news. There's a proclamation element to evangelism. Uh, let's not muck around and say, you know, hanging out with our unsaved neighbors is evangelism. If it's not, if there's no announcing of good news, let's not call it that. Let's be really clear. That's just hanging out with our neighbors, right? And that's not a bad thing. Um, but let's be really clear about what evangelism uh, is. And let's not just try and make ourselves feel better about our evangelism because we've yeah. flyered a neighborhood or we've hung out with a, an unsaved neighbor. Be really clear about what evangelism is and be persistent in it would be my um, kind of encouragement to do, like think like think as, as you know, as you plan your diary and your calendar, like don't just 
being a Christian ghetto? Like, how, how are you going to encounter people that are needing to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think probably from my perspective, if I can encourage anyone that's listening, is that it's always painful, right? You always have to cross the pain line, right? It never feels like, oh, this is like a, you know, this is a painless way to tell people about Jesus, okay? Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of an illustration that would um, be helpful. I don't know a lot about American football, right? So forgive me. But I, what I can work out is that it's about gaining yards, right? Is that fair enough? You get 10 yards and then you get another shot. That's accurate, right? yes. And it's also painful. It can be very right. painful. And so yeah. the opposition never say... The opposition never say to you, come on through, guys, like just take those 10 right. yards. It always <laughs> yeah. feels painful to cross the line. Yeah. Um, it's never yeah. it's never with, without awkwardness. And you never f- don't feel that fear of man as you kind of ask if you can tell someone about the Lord Jesus and, and the hope that you have and the hope that's available for them. That never doesn't feel like pain, uh, pain or awkward, um, at least for most of us. Maybe some, some people it's not. But my experience is that it always feels... Um, slightly awkward but I want to encourage you that that um, you know the Lord Jesus is is building his church and Amen. and there'll be people in in the neighborhood that you you know you, that you guys live in who are who, who will be ready and who are waiting for someone um, to to um, to share the good news with them you know whose feet are beautiful you know like Isaiah talks about how beautiful are feet of those who bring good news and it's just it's a light it's a it's a it's a lifestyle it's a discipline rather than these kind of bang and bust approaches where we as I say you know fly our neighbourhood once a year expect folk to come to our Christmas service who we've yeah. never never met before and never you know never spent any time with I think that that maybe that worked in the past I don't know I wasn't there but it's not a model that um that I think would work here and maybe increasingly won't work where you are. It's, it's long-term, it's patient, it's relational. That's, mm. that's how evangelism works best, certainly in our context. We have uh, sort of naturally arrived where we were hoping to go with this conversation here. And I think there's this tension as we have this conversation that particularly as impatient Americans with some cultural assumptions, maybe that are, are not helpful or it's certainly mm. not biblical, I think it can create this sort of anxiety in us that if we are are sort of uh, promoting patience in evangelism, what we're really doing is trying to justify not doing evangelism. What we're really right. doing is trying to de- redefine evangelism as just hanging out. And what I love about what you're saying, Adam, is that's that's not certainly what you're talking about. Uh, I, I love even getting explicit enough to say, ask just uh, ask a neighbor, hey. Have you, have you ever read part of the Bible? <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, what better opportunity is it to get people looking at the word of God, which points mm-hmm. us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is sure. the power of God for salvation. It's not that you're trying to hide that. It's just that you're acknowledging and, and you're letting them know even probably in some sense. Uh, I know you might not naturally think that this should be the thing you do next week. I'm just curious, mm-hmm. would you, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and expecting them to have to process that. And, and, and as I consider, is this biblical, right? It, it, uh, compared to the alternative of sort of this impatient, angsty, let's send as many flyers, let's knock on as many doors, let's disregard the people we're talking about, just give them the message. I think we can assume, well, when we do that, we're really trusting the message to work, right? Sure. Um, and, and we're not depending on ourselves or anything like that, which is certainly not what I hear you saying. There is a sense in which 
on one hand, we're in this world that is very resistant. On the other hand, this world is ruled by our sovereign God, who is eager mm-hmm. to draw people into faith uh, and, and certainly has even called and, and purposed himself to redeem some people out of these uh, communities into his redeemed community. When I think of this question, though, is it biblical? The first thing that I'm drawn to, I wanted to just share and hopefully can kind of bring us towards a conclusion here is what Paul says in his letter of first Thessalonians uh, to to those in Thessalonica in chapter two, verse eight, he describes sort of the motivation behind his going to that community to share the gospel with them. And Mm -hmm. here's what he says. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. He says, because you had become very dear to us. And just your point, again, it's this relational aspect. He's comparing himself to sort of a nursing mother. Uh, He says before that, uh, he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking uh, care of her own children. And and if I think about someone who you you can have a plan, uh, but if you have an infant, those plans tend tend not to go very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and if you want to take good care of an infant, I'll tell you, I've learned from experience now. It takes a lot of patience. You know, you can't yeah. just give them a flyer about how to be a, a well balanced human being and expect that they're going to get there. You kind of have to walk with them patiently over time. I see yeah. that here in Paul's ethic. Absolutely, and and it's it's the both and sharing their lives and sharing Christ. Uh, and and often people fall off the horse one side or the other, hmm. uh, and it's it's about maintaining um, both of those things in your relationships with people. And I appreciate that, and and it has a way of honoring that person. I think as an image bearer, that that is clarifying to really what we're hoping to see happen here. This is this is meaningful spiritual work. They're, they're image bearers of God. Um, I, you know, from my own experience, uh, if if I could just to close here. I think one of the the reasons I'm tempted not to speak very actively about my faith with unbelievers is because I know how thorny it's going to be. I know how long that runway is going to be. I know. And I just honestly, in my own flesh, I don't want to be that patient, you know, and this is why I think the patience is so important. If we expect it to be a long and complicated process, I think in a way it has this effect of, of, of freeing us up to just rip the bandaid off, you know, tell, tell them what it means that you're a Christian. Don't expect them to just pray with you to receive Christ and be at church with you the next Sunday. If God does that, praise him. Right. But expect it to be hard, but rip the bandaid off and create the tension and then just live in that tension. Uh, I I guess that's what I'm hearing from you, man. And and I just, uh, Adam want to say, I'm really grateful for it. Let's, let's close here. And if we could, I just want to say thank you. We're, We're just really grateful for you the work God's doing in your life. We, we love the ministry that you're doing and uh, we're grateful for a chance to learn from you here uh, a bit about what it looks like to do evangelism in a culture that increasingly uh, doesn't even see Christianity as a viable option. So brother, thank you so much. We love you and we're with you in what you're doing there. Thanks yeah, so thanks. Thanks, 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 Adam. We really enjoyed it.